It's True. never the full story. I think it's I think it's too easy to look at the wave tops and assume that it's all success and it's all linear. But one thing I've learned in life is that day to day there is so many failures that get you there. In most days I had in the swimming pool, I felt like I was underachieving. I don't think that anybody went through buds and Navy SEAL training feeling successful during all of that. That's Larson Jensen. He's won two Olympic gold medals in swimming, then went to become a Navy SEAL and then went to go work at Lightspeed as an investor. And now he has his own fund called Harpoon Ventures and they raised 300 million. It was incredible to hear that humility. For everyone in the weeds right now, I hope this gives you perspective. Surround yourself with people that are smarter, more accomplished, are of high integrity, good things will come from that. You just need to be able to recognize opportunity when it falls into your lap. If you're a founder considering to reach out to Larson, here's the most important thing. You can talk all day about brand, you can talk all day about value. At the end of the day, people like to work with people they like. I don't think there's any shortcuts around that. Sometimes you can you know, get infatuated by a logo or by progress and all those things, and certainly I do as well. I think at the end of the day, decisions come down to sort of like choosing your spouse. There's a relationship component to it that I think can't be shortcut. Hey, I'm Adam O'Donnell, and I'm on a mission to help founders do the two things that I never did well when I was a founder, hit product market fit that's sustainable and raise from top VCs. My approach is simple. I just go talk to founders that have done it before and VCs that are actively investing. If you don't get one tactic or strategy, send me an email, adamfodonnell at gmail.com. My name is Larson Jensen. I'm the founder and general partner here at Harpoon Ventures. We're an early stage venture capital firm. We've raised $300 million to date. Uh, most recent fund being a little bit larger than $125 million in size. We really prioritize early stage investing. And so for us, that's you know, pre-seed, seed, and as well as series A. Uh, we invest in a variety of sectors with a little bit of a nuance of how we do it, but we traditionally invest in enterprise, um, you know, broadly speaking, uh, IT infrastructure, AIML, cybersecurity, as well as deep tech or frontier technology. And the nuance that we want to bring to bear is that this modern incarnation, this new startup startup wave is going to have further reaching geopolitical ramifications than any other wave in my lifetime. And for context, I'm 38. so. Uh, you know, old enough to know a few things, but probably still young enough to know that I, I don't know everything. Um, and what I think that we've observed in this market is that with the emergence of AI, big changes in the cybersecurity landscape, big changes in the deep technology landscape, these technologies are going to transform how the modern enterprise does business. It's also going to transform how Uncle Sam does business. And I think there's a lot of things to be cognizant of around the world. We're all aware of what's been happening over with the Israel-Palestine conflict, uh, as well as Russia-Ukraine, and a variety of other you know, tension, uh, you know, contentious areas around the globe, China, Taiwan, etc. And we believe that the United States is a beacon of hope and a beacon of democracy for the world. And it's very important that we keep our technological and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial edge um, to make sure that we have the opportunity to provide that as, on the global scale. Are you saying maybe you prioritize companies that, do you only invest in companies that are in the US? Not exclusively. Okay. I think it's an overarching sentiment for us. Yeah. Um, and I think there's many different ways to talk about it, many different buzzwords. One buzzword people use is the concept of dual use. So in the government space, a lot of people know what that means. In startup space, not a lot of people do. It's more of a government term. And it's essentially dual use technologies, the way the government refers to it, are technologies that are applicable in the commercial sector or the modern enterprise, but also applicable in the government sector. And so that can be next generation network, storage, compute, databases, 
um, artificial intelligence, maybe even drone technology, uh, self-driving, autonomy, those types of things we think are going to transform the world, not only for you know the commercial sector, but also for the military and the broader government sector as well. And so it's with that nuance that we invest in these next generation technologies. What did you want to be when you grew up? First, I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, and I wanted to go to the Naval Academy, honestly. Uh, so that was my first thing that I remember really wanting to be. And I was a kid who watched Top Gun. So I think the Navy did a good job having Tom Cruise do Top Gun, Top Gun 1 and subsequently Top Gun 2. They're very cool movies. But I, I quickly became infatuated with the dream of becoming a Navy SEAL when I was a young kid. Uh, ultimately, life throws changes at you and throws curveballs at you. Nothing is ever linear. Nothing is you know totally preordained in terms of your life. You can't control those things. And a positive curveball that was thrown my way is this love for swimming and this love for being in the pool. So actually my first career uh, was as a swimmer. I was fortunate to go to the Olympic Games in 2004, earned a silver, me a silver medal for the United States there. And then I went to the Olympic Games in 2008, which is the Beijing Games and earned a bronze medal there. And so my childhood dream of being in the military and being in the SEAL teams took a little bit of a backseat for a while as I pursued my, my swimming passion. But ultimately I had a resurgence of that between my Olympic Games and decided to uh, follow the calling to serve and represent my country in a, in a different capacity. Um, so did that after the 2008 Olympic Games and served in the SEAL teams for a number of years thereafter. There might be some people listening who feel just like intimidated by just like, you can just, you kill it in every single thing you're doing. Oh man. I, I know, I know it can't, I know that's never the full story. So I'm, I'm it's never the full story. I think it's, I think it's too easy to look at the wave tops and assume that it's all success and it's all linear. But one thing I've learned in life is that day to day, there is so many failures that get you there. Uh, every day in swimming, I'd say most days I had in the swimming pool, I felt like I was underachieving. Certainly over time, you know, those successes punctuate that and make it all worthwhile. But I don't think that anybody went through BUDS and Navy SEAL training felt like they were, you know, uh, getting the, uh, or, or feeling successful during all of that, you know, through shared suffering, uh, through shared experience, through adversity, uh, you can really build some amazing friendships and create a life for yourself that's really worthy of, of the hard work. I don't think anything comes without extreme sacrifice and extreme challenges, nothing worthwhile. You can look, and I see that in the founders that we invest in to this day. None of these things are easy, easy. They're very complicated businesses. At the seed stage, you have so many risks. You have team risk, you have scaling up the team risk. So not just co-founder risk, but you have scaling up the team risk. You have customer risk, you have technology risk, you have you know, competitors in the market. You have technology inflections that maybe you didn't see coming. You have incumbents. All of those things are really challenging. But at the end of the day, if you're persistent and creative, you can find yourself uh, building something really successful. And everyone I talk to, and I feel this myself, that has done something worthwhile, it's really the journey that they're rewarded by. Not the thing that, not that single success at the end of the day. I don't think back on my swimming experience, the fondest memories of the medals that I won. I think about the hard work that went into it. I think about the teammates that I had. I think about the coaches that helped me develop as a man. Those things are the things that make me look back with a whole lot of admiration to that career. You won medals in swimming in the Olympics, then you became a Navy SEAL, and then you became a, uh, a VC. Help me with that decision to go, or just like the, the process of moving from being a SEAL 
to a VC. I, I don't, I imagine there's not a lot of examples. There's not a whole lot of examples. And I think that that's what made it even more interesting. Um, but you know, suffice it to say, during my time in special operations and everybody who's you know fortunate enough to be in that community, they're exposed to not only tremendous bravery and selflessness, but they're exposed to a lot of interesting emerging technology that helps us do our jobs better. Obviously, we have various weapon systems and optics and night vision and things of that nature, but we also have next generation intelligence gathering tools that help to combine disparate sources of data and help us make sense of them to make us do our jobs better. Um, so one of those advancements that was occurring back during that time was a company called Palantir. Now it's a public company. Everybody knows what they do. Back then it was very obscure. And that's the technology that we had the opportunity to use. When I saw the power of what Palantir provided us as end users compared to our legacy technologies, it was night and day. And I was curious why more startups, more emerging technology companies weren't trying to solve these problems for us that we were experiencing every single day. So I got the startup bug. I got the startup bug as a as a, as an end user in the military, and I had I reconnected with some friends of mine, Eddie and Alexi, who were starting a new company called BetterUp. They lived with you know across the street from me at USC. Uh, BetterUp has since gone on to do amazing things. Most recent valuation being in the billions of dollars, and they are to blame or for me to thank for me getting into the startup ecosystem. They essentially said, there's not too many SEALs, there's not too many Olympians up here in Silicon Valley. We think we could, you could bring a different perspective in working with founders and working in the early stage technology ecosystem, especially given your experience in the military working with enabling technologies like Palantir and others. And so I trusted them and um, decided to jump in with both feet and jumped into Silicon Valley to learn more from the best in the business to figure out what the best technologists in the world were building, what were they seeing, and what were the technologies that were going to change the future in all these different industries. And since then, I, I've been hooked, and that was almost a decade ago. That is amazing. What what did that actually look like? Uh, once you jumped into Silicon Valley, um, how did you start learning that? I was really fortunate that those two gentlemen took me under their wing and introduced me to their friends. And that compounded from there. I think one of the most challenging things for anybody making a career transition is trying to figure out how to break into a new market where you don't know much about it. And you need those mentors. You need those people who are gonna wrap their arms around you and recognize the raw ingredients you might have and the limitations you, you obviously have and chart a path forward with you and to help you. And they did that for me. And then compounding on top of that, many other people did that for me. Mm -hmm. It was through that that I was fortunate to have the opportunity to work at Andreessen Horowitz and then subsequently to go to business school at Stanford and then to get a job over at Lightspeed Venture Partners on the enterprise team. And if it wasn't for that catalyzing event of Eddie and Alexi and those guys, you know, helping to educate me about the space, I would have never in a million years had met the people that I needed to meet to get those opportunities. And the concept for Harpoon really wouldn't have ever existed. So it's really hard. In hindsight, it seems like this was pre-architected and pre-planned. It couldn't be further from the case. Uh, but I think we stumbled forward into something that, um, in hindsight, seems a little obvious. But at the time, it definitely wasn't. Mm, that's an insight right there. Because I think sometimes people look at someone else that maybe is 10 years ahead of them in their career and they 
look back and like, oh, they must have planned out all these steps. But you're saying it wasn't anything like that for you. Nothing like that. I, I knew I wanted to be in the space. And I, I think a big, if I was to give my former self some advice going through business school is I think a lot of people go to business school or go to grad school and it's a little bit of a soul searching endeavor. They want to figure out what they want to do next. They meet a lot of colleagues who are very smart and accomplished in a variety of different domains and they don't know what to do next. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself to make that perfect decision on that exact next step. And in hindsight, I don't think that stressing out over that did myself any favors. I actually think that it was very um, uh, unproductive. Uh, it worked against me. Stressing out about that was not the right thing to do. And it's an easier thing to say than to feel. But I truly believe that if you put yourself surround yourself with people that are smarter, more accomplished, are of high integrity, good things will come from that. You just need to be able to recognize opportunity when it falls into your lap. And I think that's one of the great things about the Silicon Valley ecosystem is that ethos of paying it forward. If you are ambitious and hungry and trying to do something, you can pretty much get in a meeting with anybody if you really work at it. Anybody will meet with you. That's not the same in East Coast ecosystems, traditionally speaking. Um, and people will meet with you and they will help you meet somebody new who can help you with your vision and what you're trying to do, whether you're building a startup or trying to get into the career and what have you. It's a really unique pay it forward ecosystem. And I think that I'm a great example of, of a beneficiary of that. That is really exciting. Well, I um, it's so true. And that's why I love... That's all we love San Francisco and Silicon Valley and just like the West Coast mindset that is so much that's transforming the world, <laughs> if you ask me. But um, I want to double down and get some specifics around what you look for in startups for the founders that are listening. You are either considering to raise from you one day or someone else. Um, but the first question is, if you think back to the three most recent investments that you've made where you've really been close to the deal. Um, yeah. Could you tell me how long you knew those founders and the and how did they reach out to you? Maybe we, you just kind of think them all yeah. in your head. Uh, yeah, you know, one I had known uh, for about four years or so. Okay. We actually backed his company previously and he since went on to start a new one. And he is uh, essentially a luminary in the cybersecurity space. And he feels that with this modern era of AI and generative AI, there's some new opportunities here for him to bring his network and expertise to build something new. And so that is, I think, a little bit of the anomaly for us right now. Usually we tend to get to know people over a period of, of months and build that relationship and really try and learn what they're doing and get them to trust us. And that only, and I think that's the biggest contributing factor of us working with anybody. And it's probably the same for any other venture capital firm is that mutual shared trust um, and that authentic relationship. You can talk all day about brand. You can talk all day about value. At the end of the day, people like to work with people they like. And I don't think there's any shortcuts around that. Sometimes you can you know, get infatuated by a logo or by progress and all those things. And certainly I do as well. But I think at the end of the day, decisions come down to choose, sort of like choosing your spouse. Um, there's a relationship component to it that I think can't be shortcut. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, given deal uh, deal timelines and fundraising and all that stuff, you, you sort of have to make sure that you do it in a respectful timeline. Um, so I think more often than not, it's over a period of months. And the most recent deals that we did is a cloud cost optimization company. Um, really exciting company, making a lot of progress. We did a protein sequencing company, which we are really excited about. It's sort of, instead of sequencing the genome, it's sequencing pre, uh, proteins. So we think uh, next gen Illumina is our aspirations for this business. Um, and we also did that cybersecurity company that I just mentioned with a repeat founder that we'd worked with before. And we're really excited about all of those. And I think they all share a lot of the raw ingredients that we really look for. And maybe this is uh, confirmation bias here, but I think really looking for the hungry, ambitious, rapid cycle founders that are going to iterate quickly and never give up and overcome a lot of these hardships that are inherent with early stage entrepreneurship is one of the most important things that, that we want. We're looking for those brave founders that are brilliant and going to take these companies to the next level because all the credit goes to them. There's mm. really, at the end of the day, I don't think there's much a venture capitalist can do who's going to change the outcome of a business that comes down to the founder and their ability to have both hands on the wheel and to know when to hit that accelerator and when to break going around corners. Mm, that's good. I mean, that that's that leads me into one of the last two questions is what correlates best when you're in due diligence and you're examining a, a startup that ends up becoming successful. Like what is that single thing if you had to narrow it down? And may, maybe it is a rapid cycle founder, is that it? Pure hustle and grit. Mm. I think that's what it is. And there's so many things that go with that. Yeah. Obviously we'd prefer to have somebody who has a deep amount of domain expertise, who is a technologist by trade. At the end of the day, we are investing in technology enabled businesses. Um, so it's nice for them to know the customers they need to talk to, the colleagues they need to hire, the strategic partners they need to enable them, the investors that they want around the table to help them really succeed. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, especially in this macro environment, there's no free lunch. And I think there likely was a, a little bit of a free lunch a couple of years ago, and that's essentially evaporating from the ecosystem. And so I think that the uh, the wartime founders are the ones that we're, uh, we're looking for, which maybe is synonymous with my background here, but that's really, I think what, what excites us. Oh, that makes so much sense. Well, the last question is what's the most impactful strategy or tactic for founders to do when fundraising? Um, if you had to narrow it down. This is maybe my style and our style. We do not love short truncated competitive processes. We view this as a work marriage. We view this as something where you should take the time to really get to know somebody and build the relationship. And I think your odds of having a strong relationship that's gonna stand the test of time are diminished if you're running a two week process. Significantly, I think that's a pretty obvious statement that almost everybody would agree with. So I think walking that line of you know, focusing on the business as a founder, as you should, like building that business, but also making sure that you build that relationship with the people that you want to work with over time, uh, I think is the best way to do it. Um, and not making it this gun to your head moment where you have to make a decision on whether or not you're going to walk down the aisle together um, in a matter of days or weeks. It's really hard for either party to get comfortable because at the end of the day, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've learned a lot. I know it's been an inspiring story as well. It's just like getting some practical tips. So boom. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you having me on. This is a lot of fun and uh, congrats on all your building over there. You made it to the end. That's more than I can say for a lot of podcasts that I listen to. Hopefully it was helpful. If I can improve it, once again, send me an email, adamfodonnell at gmail.com.